Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations with artists, I invite you to come visit David's Werner Gallery exhibitions in person. We're located in New York, Los Angeles, London, Paris, and Hong Kong. New exhibitions open each month. Plan your visit at davidswerner.com. Hi, my name is Patrick Staff, and I'm an artist. Hello, my name is Julie Tolentino, and I am an artist. From David Zwerner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. I mean, certainly the questions in my work around contagion or toxicity or the kind of, uh, like, the, the, the fantasy of safety of the body are all super raw right now. But it's often, you know, in my work at least, I'm often also trying to sort of upend a lot of those assumptions about what is what is the what is the well-behaved body and what is the irresponsible body. This project that is sort of a lifelong project I have, it's really thinking of the body as a container, which is easy to do, right? The kind of leaky body, the body that is constantly in the state of decay, the, the, the space of aging, you know, what happens when the archive outlives the person or vice versa, you know, the body is such a unreliable container. Hi, it's Lucas Werner. This week, we're continuing to try new things on the show, and we felt it would be exciting, particularly in this moment, to hand the Dialogues platform over to new voices and see where those conversations go on their own. So this week, we invited Patrick Staff and Julie Tolentino. Patrick is an exciting artist who had a recent exhibition at the Serpentine Galleries in London that used video and architectural intervention to comment on the bodies that are typically allowed visibility in institutional spaces. A lot of their work examines these traditional ecosystems from a queer and trans perspective. Their work is also part of Platform Los Angeles, an online exhibition featuring 13 LA galleries that we are currently hosting on davidswerner.com. Patrick talked with their friend, the artist Julie Tolentino, who also shows with Commonwealth and Council in L.A. You may have seen Julie's week-long performance last winter at Performance Space New York. A lot of her work is durational and combines the movement of her dance background with social exchange. Like Patrick, she is also deeply concerned with the issues facing the queer community and other marginalized groups. Hi, Julie. Hey, Patrick. How are you? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I feel like I keep having conversations with friends recently about desire. Yeah. <laughs> but particularly kind of like desire, the, maybe the inherent conflict between desire and a, and a political principle. Like it feels like we, both you and I in our work, but also more broadly at the moment, are having to kind of contend with maybe the desire for desire to do certain things, the desire for desire to behave well, or for desire to conform to political principle or something. And it, it like kind of gets us all into a lot of trouble, but it feels something that I keep moving towards in the work that I'm making or keep trying to kind of uncover. And I feel like yeah, again, maybe if this isn't like too much of a too much opinion, but it, I feel like 
the the work of the work of Julie Tolentino is full of like bad bad desire. Bad desire. <laughs> desires All the bad desires. To have. <laughs> Touching too much. <laughs> Getting under the skin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, I think that sometimes I don't even recognize that they're bad desires. I because they're so, you know, they are for me what I would call sort of like realness space, right? Like this is the conversations behind the love letter or the impetus mm-hmm. of the love letter or or the thing that we know that doesn't doesn't have a reflection on the outside or I mean in some ways that that these sort of bad desires, you know, sort of uh, wanting too much or wanting the thing that is maybe simpler actually than like desire. It's taken sort of a long time to make those kinds of things visible. But maybe that's what I, I'm really fascinated with how you work because I feel like you do that in a way that's much more, and it's very succinct and really powerful. And I'm, I'm interested in terms of like, how we are thinking through time like how do you like Mm -hmm. do you feel like there's sort of some kind of durational aspect to what you're doing like do you have that in your I mean I think it's I think I think that these questions these questions are in both mine and Julie's work but they feel somehow heightened right now or maybe there is you know I like like a couple of, you know, in, in casual conversation, a couple of different people now have sort of said to me like, oh, I'm, it's really making me think about your work a lot, that's going th- what we're going through at the moment, which of course, on the one hand is flattering, but on the other hand is kind of terrifying because <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know, um, I also don't know necessarily how to speak to our present moment right now as we're, as we're in it. I mean, certainly the questions in my work around contagion or toxicity or the kind of like the, the, the fantasy of safety of the body are all super raw right now. But it's, but it's often, you know, in my work, at least I'm often also trying to sort of upend a lot of those assumptions about what is, what is the, what is the well-behaved body and what is the irresponsible body? What is irresponsible behavior versus, care or like what is what is safety and what is the threat of danger uh kind of i'm sort of constantly trying to turn over those stones and kind of upset some of those categories for me at least i'm still catching up with how our current crises changes that or affects that what do you i mean i would also say that you know by the same token that this desire is sort of heightened in a in a way that's also heightened towards um, desire as a solutions, like finding mm-hmm. solutions. I mean, I think that there's another kind of desire that is also this long, like long formed ache. You know, it's the same work as like thinking through the undercommons or all of the kind of, you know, histories of grassroots rage and queer advocacy and mutual aid. And, you know, so I just sort of feel like in a way that, is sort of what I feel that anchors a lot of your work, Patrick, and Mm. certainly, you know, sort of lays down the groundwork for my work over the years. So I almost am wondering, like, it's almost like, like there's this way of reaching underneath at the desire that's been, like, that just is what makes a queer community or what makes, you know, a world that is trying to look at 
ability differently? Like what is ability? What is, you know, how do we look at these kind of concepts of dis-ease or disease or whatever? Like, yeah, I mean, it's funny actually, like in in the past few, or at least in the... I don't know in the past in the past year or so I've, I feel like I've been increasingly removing the body from the installations that I've been making it kind of upends some of the assumptions about what it means to be a be someone who works so much with whether it's choreography or the body or somatics or whatever and particularly the last the kind of like last big show I worked on there was a really palpable absence of absence of flesh you know and I think like what you're saying, the the feeling for me then becomes that all of these things like touch, sensation, um, sex, all becomes kind of sublimated into other materials or becomes almost a, a kind of haunting presence in the space. Almost the feeling of when you when you know that somebody else is in the room, but you haven't seen them yet. And the body has that that kind of sensation. Which was, I don't know, yeah, it's making me think now more literally about your last Commonwealth show, which at least when I went was was a shrouded, a shrouded figure, someone hidden. You know, for the last, like, I'd say five years, maybe, I've been sort of thinking through, like, what is, what is a space without a body? Or also what is, like, what is a movement without the body itself? You know, like, one of the things we privilege often when we're looking at movement is the actual body, you know, like Mm -hmm. in a room full of bodies, you're sort of gravitating towards one's, I don't know, awkwardness or fluidity or like something that you connect to. And I was sort of interested in one, like in what happens when you take away the body to look at and to really focus just on the affect of the body, like can movement produce so much affect that even without the body, you still know that there's a thought process or there's a conversation happening. Yeah, just in terms of repeater at Commonwealth and Council last fall, the one, like there was sort of a dominant image, which was um, a video that was playing in the space uh, with and without its sound throughout. And, you know, there were multiple objects that, you know, of course, have their origin, but the I, sort of the way I was sort of thinking about the exhibition was that with these multiple objects, some that were mirrors, some that are sawhorses, rope, you know, that there might be this way that we sort of have these multiple meanings that when we keep looking at the objects in different arrangements together and apart, that different things could happen. I kind of thought of it as like also different kind of visitations would occur or because of the visitation, some other kind of um, configuration would happen. But the main idea was um, that the exhibition would never stay still and that there would be a way that it would it would be an installation in constant motion, even in its sort of small motion. It would be like even just the moment of just trying to observe and think that there is a way that there is a motion there. And that the one, it was like based on a 108 hour event, which was the culmination of the six weeks exhibition, that 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 performance would be going on for the entire time. And then there would be a marking on each hour of each hour, this 108 auspicious number hour on each hour. I did a small cutting on the inside of my 
my inner thighs to kind of mark the moment. So those were captured in, in those blood slides and then presented over the period of the exhibition. But in within that are these shrouded um, or these fabrics, basically, that some are leather, some are different sort of shiny style fabrics um, where I would enter and sort of animate. But, you know, you could come in at any time and just think it was, you know, a blob of fabric or leather and then it would sort of you know would be moving ever so slightly or maybe sort of sort of dramatically so I know that's just sort of the 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 general overview and it sounds like you came in when maybe I was inside Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or at least I assume you were inside yeah, I mean, it was also an interesting performance in that, you know, it was also not an outward facing performance. So it was also hard for me to know who, or like, I could never tell really who was in the room. I just mm-hmm. sort of sometimes thought that someone was there. But, you know, I was also trying to think about sort of living, non-living influence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I realize we've, we've not really talked about that show so much together. Yeah. Because I... Well, on the first of all, I'm like, where where do all the slides of blood go after the show? Oh, that's a good question because there is a. <laughs> I actually we pack them, and you know, I, the condition of them is actually the big question, right? Because the blood, obviously, um, you know, we, there there's no coagulant, so it's just the blood. I mean, it's just the blood in the glass, and the glass, mm. of course, is the worst archival material. So, you know, ideally, because they're packed tight in this box where all 108 are held really tightly together, you know, in that way, the blood is held. But what I'm afraid of is that when we were mm-hmm. to, if we were to ever unpack them, that the dryness of the blood with the slip of the glass mm-hmm. would really sort of, you know, completely alter the the capture of mm-hmm. those hours. So, you know, I, I don't think it's lost on me that that kind of ephemeral future of those held objects are also part of the work itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When did you start incorporating blood into your performances? Well, I mean, there's sort of two really key times where I feel like I can address this, but, you know, I started working, I mean, I, I was a professional dancer and I was working in a black dance company in the starting in the 1990, the same year that I started the Click Club was when I started working with David Rusev's company. And that work was um, sort of rubbing the experience of women under slavery, their relationships to the choreographers, you know, status as being queer and HIV positive, which took many years for him to sort of come out in both of those situations. And at the same time, I was also performing with Ron Athey and with Ron, you know, we had been like, we'd been together on the fax machine and (laughs) the telephone for a year, like, like almost daily and before we actually met. And then when we met pretty much soon after that, we, we performed at Otis, I think, like the old Otis outdoors on their day without art. And that was the first time that I had done like a play piercing performance with Ron, which, so I would say that it comes the, the the actual like manipulation and blood sports come from sort of sex practice, but in terms of performance, certainly with Ron, but then 
Interestingly, when I was with David's company, because I was the only queer person in the company and because he wasn't quite out yet about being positive, he'd often have these strange like at like accidents and he would like cut his foot or something on stage. So I was also like the person responsible for helping like contain the situation. Mm. So there's like this active slash passive slash care slash, you know, like also just, you know, you know, it was like medic, you know, like these kind Mm -hmm. of situations that kind of pulled that sort of space together for me. And then of course, you know, working in Ron's work with most, you know, I would say, you know, over 60% of the cast members were positive. So I feel like we were always sort of thinking about like how we were dealing with blood just in general. For a while now in my work, I've sort of had or like been leaning into, I suppose, the, 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 the ambiguity, but also the volatile nature of different liquids, essentially, mm-hmm. whether it's blood, piss or spit or just clean water versus dirty water. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, in the show that I had recently at the Serpentine in London, we installed a pipe system into the ceiling that was dripping acid into the gallery. And it was acid that was made from a mixture of both synthetically produced acids, but also acids that are made naturally in the body, such as lactic acid or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. But really it's kind of leaning into for me the 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 kind of proximity of threat or the potential of this kind of corrosive harmful dripping liquid and something i've been working on for a little while is trying to convince an institution to let trying to convince an institution to let me take all of their i forget what the word is it's kind of like their their usables in the building so like Mm door handles, plug covers, sockets, um, light switches, and have them recasted and remolded from blood, but waste blood. Mm. So, so all of the waste blood from an abattoir or somewhere like that, the kind of excess unusable blood that you can then cast, cast into an, into an object. But anyway, what, the reason I bring it up is because I guess I'm interested in thinking about now with you, like how different fluids such as blood might move in and out of different political territories or something like you're describing in these periods of working with David Rusev or Ron, like a, a particular moment of blood's absolute kind of peak volatility or something. And I'm I don't know. I'm I'm sort of having the same same questions now about my own work in 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 relation to to the current pandemic, to COVID nineteen and things like that. I mean, it's so reductive to have a before and an after, you know. But I don't know. I want I wonder about blood's blood's volatility again, or spit. I just wanted to mention one thing that thing that I think is important when we work with blood, particularly all of my work with pig pen, is actually minus a performance we just did in New York. Almost all of the time that I'm working with blood in terms of like blood spilling out of the body in some way, Mm. we always do it like under a red light so that it's again sort of focused more on the affect rather than the material of blood itself because Mm. Because I think that the the sort of like the sight of blood is such a 
like it already is prescribed almost for everyone. It's sort of like yeah, I can yeah. deal with it or I can't deal with it. So I feel like that is an interesting aspect of um, what you're saying about working with a blood that's maybe not material to us, you know, like the blood that's like drained out of an animal's body. We don't know what that is actually, yeah, you know, yeah, we don't yeah. even know what that looks like. So I'm really, really just interested in like, again, that kind of going, moving back under, it reminds me too of the work that you did with Candace that I love so much. We were also in the show at Elizabeth Foundation last, mm. when was that? Like one year ago already. Yeah, maybe. Maybe even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, January of 2019. But, you know, the sort of the production of The Mist and mm. that like kind of, you know, tangling of of the water, uh, this kind of idea of like sort of dosing a room, you know, all mm-hmm. of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I could also talk so much more just because of, you know, like I've been working I don't know if you know this, but you know, I do aquatic body work. I do regular body work, but also aquatic body work. Right, right. And I sort of tried to take a, you know, sort of take a chance really on sort of letting go of the body work part of the aquatic body work. <laughs> and I sort of made a proposition also asking an institution to sort of extend their space to allowing for like a, you know, multiple ton water container you know a gigantic pool to be used as a performance as a performance space and i sort of did these one-to-one performances which were like i call them kind of consensual drownings but all of these i don't know i'm just sort of you know i'm sorry we keep bringing up old things but i really am (laughs) more than amazed and it occurs to me too how so much um of our interests like laid in different places. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. I, I mean, I like we had, you know, we had a brief catch up on the phone last week, and I, I did come away from it thinking a lot about how both of us are kind of, you know, prior prior to our present moment, already engaging with certain sets of conversations with institutions about almost like safety protocols, you know, so. The work that you mentioned that I make with Candice Lynn, who's a sculptor here in LA, is that we take apart commercial fog machines and essentially hack them to be able to produce a mist or a smoke that is kind of, it's hard to describe, but essentially the the liquid that's being vaporized into smoke has been laced uh, with a whole set of herbs that at least in the ones that we've shown most recently can inhibit testosterone production in your body in theory if you were to breathe in enough of this smoke you know and uh, yeah and it's like you say it's sort of maybe doing the same thing of having this acid dripping from the ceiling which is putting putting this thing into the space that that situates you immediately in proximity to something that may or may not harm you you know you you might get into the tank of water and Julie might drown you. <laughs> it's sort of, it's happening in both of our works already. But like I was saying before, I'm still kind of reckoning with trying to catch up with what happens now in the, in the present moment or moving forwards with both of our works. Yeah. And part of that is like just sort of one acknowledging the, the difficulty obviously of what everyone's going through, but also recognizing that the again like 
the roof comes off in the situation and we start to see that the difficulty has always been there, just like the exactly. desire has always been there. And I feel like that's, you know, you know, I'm kind of loath to, to compare the viruses, right? The obvious, mm-hmm. you know, COVID-19 and the HIV <clears throat> AIDS um, situation, just because, you know, they, we know they're both viruses, but I feel like the conditions of them are so different. But I also know that, you know, the, the kind of anxiety that it brings is, po- is possibly, you know, one, what we have to feel through, you know, it's, it is really impossible to sort of try to pin down even how I'm feeling about it. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we even said earlier, like it's easier for me to recognize how many multiple changes I go through each day. You know, mm-hmm. I literally wake up a little bit different. Like one day I'm ready to deal with it. And some days I'm sick of it, <laughs> you know, or mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, or I'm, you know, the distance does sometimes works to help me think through it in a way, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think I can, I can't do a lot of social, like, in fact, I think like, I feel like this is the most social thing I've done that I haven't sort of stepped off of the, you know, the stepped off of the conversation and Mm -hmm. left the room for a little while. (laughs) I find it really, really hard to socialize. And I wouldn't call like my work a socializing situation, although obviously it's built on spending a lot of time inviting people to come close. So yeah, there's something about that too, that I think is really interesting that maybe there's some built in distance in our works that are harder to come by that might be helping in a certain way to like look and feel through this. Yeah. I mean, it's like similarly, I have a, I have a reluctance to interpolate HIV and AIDS with COVID-19, you know, on the, on the one hand, because I think those of us that are engaged with the topic are constantly trying to reaffirm that HIV and AIDS was not a thing that came and went. It was not like a moment. It is a continuing crisis, you know, and and to situate a kind of present and past obviously reinforces that binary. But I also think that there is something, well, I, I don't know, there's so many things to say about it. I think it's difficult to be an artist who's working from a marginal position of, of any kind to then be, to be sort of requested to give uh, comment to, or make sense of, or, or, you know, give account for, you know, is something I try to really resist, at least when it makes to comes to making work around transness. But I, but I am interested in how, you know, how we can think about the ways that that viral crises kind of upend social relations, particularly in the ways that I would say that maybe HIV and AIDS and also COVID-19 expose the kind of violence of, of private, privatized space, privatized relations, the family unit, the home, certain types of institutions. They kind of reveal, I think, the limits of what we see privatized space being able to do for us or protect us from. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think that that's, yeah, the expectation that sort of uh, we actually are comfortable in like capital H home, that there mm-hmm. is capital H home or that, you know, that it, 
yeah, I, exactly. I mean, I feel like the it's that sort of expectation um, that this can be controlled by a certain kind of activity, like, you know, like these prescriptions are set out that would somehow be a one size fits all. Like that is, I mean, obviously there's a, a ne- like a, a necessity to have a structure so that we can, you know, try to learn more about this virus. I mean, I'm more interested in how we start to think about contagion, like what we're thinking about in terms of like what our responsibilities are to each other and how we can not, um, also create judgments around, you know, somehow what your exposures can be or, you know. I think that in coming from a place of, of, of the work is always underpinned by um, studying dance, thinking about choreography, really understanding art making as being about a moment of encounter of, of the kind of inherent liveness, even of a looping film or an object in a space that there are, you know, always a continual number of, of conditions that surround it that make for, that make for a live encounter. So it's hard not to, for that to also inherently contain decay or decomposition or a kind of like changing, a changing nature always. In terms of like working with an archive or historical materials, I think that Mm, I've always tried to I try to try to understand a way to resist a kind of reductive narrativization of of queer histories to sort of really have to work against producing a coherent narrative, usually because I'm sort of questioning for who would I be producing this coherent narrative? Because I, I don't see it as being something that is productive on a horizontal level. Between you and I, Julie, it's not useful for either one of us to try to pin down the history of HIV and AIDS for each other. You know, that's not a conversation that happens horizontally. It's one that happens top down. And more often than not, that's about being a queer artist producing a certain narrative for a certain institution, you know, so much of, I don't know, I, I get really, I get tired of the kind of reparative demands that are made of queer artists and artists of many other kind of marginal experience to, to see art making as a production of wholeness or a kind of smoothing over of something, particularly I think for trans artists, the request constantly to kind of reveal more and more the image of the body um, to somehow like soothe or, you know, always to always assume that representation is good, that representation is useful and productive and that somehow that advocates for like a moral or political position that the audience can read of the institution. That's where I was like tr- finally trying to get to in there. You know, we, d- we decode these sets of analogies made by artists to somehow deduce what the institution is trying to tell us it is doing in the world. And what I think can often be so damaging for, for queer and other marginal artists is that you're expected to do that work while simultaneously being, being uh, I don't know, opp- uh, oppressed by that very anyway. institution. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, I mean, I can't help but think about like the amount of like galleries in Chelsea 
you know, Sarah Shulman talks about the kind of rampant gentrification of areas of New York, but other cities that were the most affected by HIV and AIDS. So you see a kind of direct line between contagion and gentrification. And we then get like cultural institutions where then that is, then these histories are reproduced again, but it's like, for who? No, absolutely. I mean, it's all, it's like for who, and then also, you know, ultimately, you know, what lives are we actually trying to uphold and which, Mm -hmm. you know, and what lives are we actually looking, looking to? I mean, that's the other, the other part of also this kind of, maybe it's, it's easier for us to think of the archive in terms of its instability. I mean, even in working like this project that is sort of a lifelong project I have, the sky remains the same. It's really thinking of the body as a container, which is easy to do, right? Like dance does that all the time, or it's like the conversation around that is always available. But I think it's the idea here is not just sort of like the, the body that's able to do to do things and hold things. It's more the kind of leaky body, the body that is constantly in the state of decay, the the, the space of aging, you know, Mm -hmm. what happens when the archive outlives the person or vice versa. You know, these are, you know, there's also the, you know, there's the way that you can contain, like the body is such a unreliable container, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we use that we can also like if I, I like to think of the institution as thinking of themselves as, as itself as being maybe a little less reliable and slightly leaky as a way to kind of step off of the thing that you were just describing in yeah, terms of creating yeah. a relevance or like, you know, being, yeah, the, this kind of proving, you know, it's like a showing and proving moment or, or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was also thinking like, you know, these kinds of intimacies that you're setting up or that I'm interested in setting up in my installation work as well is, you know, there's also a different kind of demand, like a different kind of quantity demand, you know, it's sort of fine. Or there's a way that maybe you privilege time, time with the material, or just take what you need is one way that I like to think of it, or, you know, hang out if you want to, you know, get lot, Mm -hmm. fall asleep. I don't care because maybe if we just take more kind of quotidian time, (laughs) we end up learning what is actually relevant to us. Yeah. And and I think to kind of pick up on the idea of, of time for me, with so much of my work dealing with contagion, toxicity, uh, kind of virality, these these conditions you know we can think of contagion as being a condition rather than a fixed state it's it's processual if a virus is is defined by its its kind of processual nature i'm kind of using that word from mel chen like hiv and aids for instance becomes most distinctly associated with sex and therefore the idea of hiv and aids becomes sex you know, and there is also a process where uh, sex then shifts and changes to accommodate this this condition of contagion. You know, and I, in some ways, I I think I have the desire to to pick apart some of those like time based or conditional natures of of contagiousness or toxicity of of becoming becoming a, a, a kind of toxic subject 
and and these small nuances or the small almost like if the body is an archive of many many illnesses many viruses many forms of touch that produce contagiousness of somehow like you say of of making the institution itself less reliable also drawing attention to the way that an institution itself can be one of these processual makers of contagion or something you know literally at the serpentine trying to make the building drip with this corrosive acid the i don't know this 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 very kind of nature of of hazard becomes embedded in the building and it's always it's always already been there but this work is trying to kind trying to like twist its arm into showing its true form or something Mm. Um, I'm kind of tying myself in knots a little bit. Patrick, that was an amazing time spent together. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Julie, for, for talking with me. Dialogues is produced by David Zwerner. You can find out more about the artists on this series by going to davidswerner.com slash dialogues. And if you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really does help other people discover the show. I'm Lucas Werner. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you join us again next time.